I'm just, we're just waiting for Rabbi Silver to return and for things to go live on Facebook, which we are. Hello everyone on Zoom and on Facebook Live. Welcome to Elul's Monadrisha after our summer break. It's a pleasure to be learning with you. Today is the first session of Prayers and Melodies of the High Holiday Services with Rabbi David Silver and Rabbi John Kelson. And this class, which is on the prayers of the Yamim Noraim. The Yamim Noraim prayers have their own distinctive nusach, as well as many melodies which are sung in various communities. In this three-part series, today is the first of three, we will listen to and reflect upon selected nikunim and songs, exploring how the music reflects an understanding of the liturgy. Today, we have the pleasure of learning with Rabbi David Silver, who is the founder and dean of Jewisha, the Jewish Institute for Jewish Education. He has taught for many years, as well as written several several books on the Bible, including most recently Malchut Adam Yunim B'Sefer Shmuel. We also have the pleasure of learning with John Kelson, who's also a dean of education at, at Drisha, and who has recently finished a very successful uh, Drisha Israel program. As it's the top of the hour and we are live, I don't want to keep things waiting, so I'm happy to turn things over to Rabbi David Silver. I will be sending Thank you very much. I will be sending invitations to panelists, to people in Zoom. I strongly recommend that you accept them. It's a great way to see and ask questions directly. So if you see that link, don't be afraid to click yes. And with that, Rabbi Silver. Thank you very much. Okay, so we are, um, as Kayla said, we are, uh, myself and John will be uh, thinking about uh, the prayers of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Uh, as perhaps reflected in the in the in nigunim, the nigunim that we've chosen are essentially Hasidic uh, melodies. Uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are the time of the year, basically, when we can say the focus is on prayer. These are days of prayer, and what prayer is about at the end of the day is the words, speech, and words. But the Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur of prayers and prayer in general is not simply spoken but is chanted. The Torah is chanted when we read it. And one of the things we want to think about is to what degree the various both chants and also the various melodies that are part and parcel of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur can, uh, are in fact reflecting something about the words of prayer and something about the nature of the day. Uh, so we're going to be playing some nigunim and talking a bit about it and reflecting on it and hopefully we can hear some of your reflections as well. Um, I just want to say one thing about nigunim that a good nigun often evokes more than one emotion. You know when it comes to uh, someone brings you a chicken and asks if it's kosher or not, well there are two options, it's either kosher or not kosher. When it comes to human beings though, uh, there are many, many different uh, states in which we find ourselves, many different emotions which are concurrent. And the good nigunim actually bring out many different emotions and many different thoughts about prayer, and in particular, the, the particular prayer that we're focused on. So I'd like to begin with a, uh, with a nigun that's kind of, I would say, a, a, a meditation. Uh, Rosh Hashanah is, among other things, it's a, it's a festival, but it's also the day of judgment, it's Yom Hadin. 
So this is a meditation that I find uh, interesting in terms of the day of Rosh Hashanah and the experience of Rosh Hashanah. This particular nigun, it's called the Paltava nigun, comes out of the world of Chabad. It was written by a chassid of Chabad, maybe a couple hundred years ago, 180 years ago. So let's listen to the Paltava nigun as an introductory meditation to the prayers of Rosh Hashanah and, uh, and Yom Kippur. That was a part of the Paltava Nigun. Um, I'm wondering what you, uh, John, what do you, what, how does that Nigun speak to you? Yeah, there's, um, well, first of all, I want to say that uh, this this notion of, of playing a Nigun at the beginning of the session, we spoke about this as you know, both an entree into the session and also uh, for the season of Rosh Hashanah, but 
beginning with the nigun, we went before before um, you know the davening proper as a practice of some communities, and I personally find that very powerful as a way of setting a stage, setting a tone, setting a mood um, through which to interpret the the words that come after. And that's one of the things that we're trying to get at. I think in this session is the way that the music of nigunim of the nusach itself can interpret the words of prayer. So I hope I'll talk more about that. In terms of this particular nigun, which um, it's, right, this is not this is not in its origin, as far as we know, a, a Rosh Hashanah nigun, right? Correct, Rabbi Silver? To the best of my knowledge, right. it's not. Right, but nonetheless, I think that played in this context, I mean, it has for me a certain um, wistful, um, wistful yearning, I would say. That's what I'm hearing um, uh, with, uh, with a delicate beauty. And, uh, you know, the, I think that the, the yearning um, is certainly part and parcel of, of one's experience on, on, on the Yemen or you know, some, some people's experiences. Um, but the wistful part, I find, I find intriguing. Why, why did you choose? Why did you choose this nigun for, for this context? Very hard to say. You know, the truth is, it has a. Um, it has a. It's a, it's, a, it's a serious nigun. I think it's. A, I call it a meditation. I, I think part of the idea of seeing a nigun before a particular prayer, as you said, is to is to sort of put our head in a certain kind of place and to begin right. to think about what the day is about. I mean, these nigunim are very serious nigunim, uh, kind of reflected. This particular nigun, uh, several people have, who are familiar with it said to me that the first few times they heard it, they didn't think much of it. it sort of grows on you after a while. Um, mm. So I think it's a way to, you know, in a way make a statement. This is a time of prayer is also all about reflection. It's especially Rosh Hashanah, which is, you know, in the sense, Rosh Hashanah, it's the beginning of the year. It's a way to think about, I would say, where we are at the moment. Mm. Where, where are we? A lot has happened over the past year. Some are positive and some challenging. And to think about where we see ourselves before we think about moving forward, where are we actually? Mm -hmm. so that's what this big one in me, it sort of engenders a feeling of reflection, thinking about the moment. Mm. And Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the year. It's the also the beginning of the month of the month of Tishrei, which is the month of, of, the, of the great holidays. It's the, the month of the holidays. It's Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. And there's a movement within the month. So that's what it, again, I don't think there's anyone, I think people hear the music and part of the response is where you are at the moment. So I think that's, for me, it's a, I would say reflection is where, what it's, so it gets me to think more about mm -hmm. where I am and to yeah. sort of and, enter and, into that space of thinking. Yeah, yeah. And on that front of uh, the you know, music landing where people, where they are, where they're at, we'd love for this to be a conversation amongst us, amongst us all here. So whether with regards to that, Nigo, and if someone wants to share and saying that uh, reflection or what that evoked in you or consciously going forward for our time together uh, today, please do, uh, you know, after hearing the Nigo and think, you know, reflect on what, what is it evoking in you? Um, how, how might that be shaping a prayer experience? Um, and then please share that with us uh, for the benefit of all of us here. Yeah, I just wanted to add one point about these Nigunim. Mm -hmm. these, these are drawn from the world, mostly, if not entirely, from the world, of, mostly from, from the Hasidic world. And the different Hasidic groups have a different style to them in terms of Nigun. 
And something to think about, not necessarily at this moment, is to what extent the nigunim of a particular uh, Hasidic group, for example, is reflective of a kind of overall philosophy. Uh, this is a Chabad nigun. And the Chabad nigunim often are very distinctive. Uh, and it does, I think, say something, clearly says something about the way they see the world, about over time, how the various Rebbe's and the various Hasidim see themselves and see, the, and, and, see, and see the world. So it's something to reflect upon as we move through. Again, there are three sessions. There'll be a whole bunch of nigunim, but something to think about. Um, okay, uh, let me just move on to another thought over here. The next uh, nigun, and I don't know where this comes from. I will say straight out. I have no idea if it's Hasidic in origin, but the next nigun is one that uh, we often sang the Drisha Minyan for uh, Adon Olam. And, um, you know, Adon Olam is a poem that is often sung at the end of the service on, the, on Shabbat, on the festivals. Very often they ask a, a, a child, a young person to sing it. Very often we're singing Adon Olam and half the people walking out of the synagogue and schmoozing or whatever it is. So the davening's over, not taken seriously. But Adon Olam, actually plays a very significant role in terms of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. I remember as a very young person coming to the synagogue and the first thing that was sung in the morning or chanted was Adon Olam. Uh, so Adon Olam, when you actually look at what we're saying in Adon Olam, it's quite powerful. And uh, it begins with uh, the idea of God's kingship. Adon yeah, Olam, Hashem the, Olam. The, the text in the chat, everybody, by the way. And also, if I might just know, since since then, since I celebrate in terms of the the custom, I'm you know resetting it first thing in the morning on Rosh Hashanah. Um, yeah, I was saying to you earlier, I I saw that uh, according to according to at least a scholar, uh, Elbogin, in the Vermeiza Nusach, the Master of the Community of of, of Worms, um, apparently Adon Olam was only recited b'tzibur liturgically in the community on the night of Yom Kippur. And then it, it, it made its way, actually, some, by the way, surmise, and I mean, it's, it's, you know, we'll get to this, I'm sure we'll talk about the text that we're done in just a moment, but, you know, it talks, you know, I place myself in God's hands. I deposit my soul into God's hands uh, when I when I go to sleep and when I awake. And some theorize that perhaps this was recited, you know, initially, maybe even written for uh, sort of the a bedtime, or, the, or something along, along the lines. It's hard, hard to know exactly, but... That it should be said at night uh, makes sense, and I just want to share the idea that, that, that this uh, this possibility that it was at least in some communities only recited Yom Kippur goes to Rice Wilbur's point here that it's actually a, a, a song, a poem, a, a prayer of, of of real real profundity, uh, and much like the Aleinu made its way apparently, perhaps at least uh, to the rest of our in our liturgy throughout throughout the year. You know, in recognition of its power, how could you just, you know, you have to share it throughout all the other days, watch it only one day of the year, get it. Uh, but then, as always happens, then sort of, then its power gets diffused a bit. So, anyway. No, that's a point. I was actually going, that's, that's a good point that, you know, like Oleno, which was obviously part of the service for the central service of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur and the Musaf. Mm -hmm. And because the prayers are so powerful, they get recited. In the case of Oleno, three times a day, and then there's always a problem when you're saying something three times a day that it loses its power. So I don't alum is actually um, I remember it being recited in the morning of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. I'm sure there were other traditions, uh, 
but it begins with the idea, which is a very Rosh Hashanah idea. I don't know Ram Hashem Malach, Beterem Kol God is king before anything was actually created. The idea that it's God's world, God, God is the creator. Whether there are beings in God's world, either way, whether human beings accept God as king or not, God is still the king. But the second line is, when, when creation actually takes place, then God is called king. And I think there, therein, in the first two lines of Adon Aram, therein lies a very, very fundamental theme of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah's main theme is God's kingship. And um, so we proclaim on one end that God is king, whether the world accepts or not, de facto, it's God's world. This eternal God, this all-knowing God, is the creator. We are residents in God's world, but one of the themes of Rosh Hashanah is to come to accept that fact and to uh, act upon it, to carry out God's will as best we understand it, which is the second line of, uh, of, of Adon Olam. So it's actually, in a way, very powerful to begin Rosh Hashanah with this particular poem. So let us play now a uh, very simple um, a simple tune of Adon Alam. I used to sing this tune when I read the davening. And um, I think it captures some of the power of, uh, of uh, Adon Alam. Right, absolutely. And, and again, everyone, as you're listening and think about this tune and it as, as you know, being applied to Adon Alam, how, how is it reading Adon Alam? What's, what's, what, what is it uh, evoking in you in terms of the, the themes of, of Adon Alam?
Interesting. So in, in the chat, we see uh, Zella writes, you know, remember she's minding the, the singing of the davening at Risha. Um, Suri writes that uh, they to sing this at Camp Marasha every Shabbat morning, so I don't alum. So maybe that's where uh, it got its way to our, our community. And then someone wrote that it was uh, perhaps by Shalom Sekunda. So, certainly possible. That is, cer that yeah. is certainly a possibility. That, that could right. be. Yeah, I remember on Yom Kippur Eve, you know, Konidri night, when I would, sometimes I would leave the davening, and at the end of it, I would sing this Adon Olam. Yes, four or five hundred people there. And when we finished singing Adon Olam, it wasn't, you could hear a pin drop, actually, for about 30 seconds to a minute and a half, no one moved. It's very powerful to sing this together. And it certainly is, I think, quite different from the Adon Olam we're used to hearing. Uh, right. To me, it brings out Adonolam is such a powerful prayer, and and you know, and it, I think the music can bring this out. By the way, our, yeah. the musicians for this uh, particular these uh, nigunim, so it's uh, Laura Melnikov on the cello, Abai Steinmetz Silber on the piano, my son. Um, there's Andy Statman on the clarinet, uh, and for some uh, for some of the tunes, I'm not sure for these, Jordan Hirsch on the uh, on the trumpet. These were recorded for a Drisha podcast called Yilu Barada. Um, um, perhaps re re rejoice with reverence, uh, something along those lines, or trembling. Or, um, um, so Perry wrote, maybe anyone else here, um, can you, what, what is this uh, tune evoking for you in terms of, or how is it, what, what themes or feelings uh, is it pulling out for you, evoking for you when applied to a donolam? I'm, I'm interested in what, uh, how it's moving people. I, I just think it's a very different experience when you hear either a solo person singing it or even just instrumental, as opposed to Rabbi Silver, as you were saying, the whole kahal singing it with all the voices, mm. all the different harmonies. Sometimes harmonies are two part, but sometimes they end up being three part or four part. Um, and it just kind of fleshes out the melody in a very different way. And it makes it more of a common experience. So it's, it doesn't surprise me that after something like that, people would sit, you know, and savor the moment. It, it, it's different than just listening. It, it's just a mm -hmm. different experience. I love that yeah. melody. I Thank wish you. people would use it more often. <laughs> hmm. Thank you. Uh, let me, uh, okay. Yeah. I was gonna, I might share, please jump in everybody, but I might show that I, I, I was, what it evokes for me is, is an element of uh, the text of Don Alam, perhaps the Rosh Hashanah, which is, it's clearly a clearly a serious uh, tune, right? Uh, this, this is not a, a festive march or, or, or even, I don't know if it's a waltz, not exactly a waltz, <laughs> but um, there's a seriousness to it, but also a gentleness at the same time. And I was thinking about the words of Don Alam, but you indeed have this king who is this eternal king, infinite king before and after, um, will, you know, be, was, was there before creation and uh, but yet this, this is a king who, um, who is a Ali, who is my, uh, who is the place to which, to which we, to which we can, we can flee uh, to one who we trust um, it's a gracious king and a benevolent king, perhaps um, 
uh, a protective king, maybe a loving king. I'm not. I'm not sure. And when you think about Rosh Hashanah and the type of king, when we'll get to this maybe in a moment, uh, we talk a little bit about Avinu Malkinu. But who is the the God that we are preparing to to come before um, during this day of Yom Hadin, this day of Rosh Hashanah, this this curious this curious day of joy and joy and judgment uh, commingled. Um, and I think that this tune for me pulls out some of those that feeling of the, the trust in this king on, 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 on Rosh Hashanah. Someone has, someone has a hand raised. Please go ahead. Yes, uh, I, I recall re, uh, singing a choir uh, where this melody was, uh, was davened at the end of services. It was mm -hmm. at the, um, this melody is composed by Secunda, uh, mm -hmm. is my knowledge. And it mm -hmm. appears in the sacred service that Secunda composed for um, the Concord Hotel. Uh, Davening was uh, led by Richard Tucker, the, the great opera singer, for many, many years. There is a recording of this, um, uh, I'm sure out of print, but it, it is available. Secunda arranged this with a very... Um, pompous, um, upbeat, uh, choral background for Tucker. And hearing it in this simple uh, piano is so much more elegant. And you hear, uh, it is stripped of all the pomp, you, you hear the hopefulness uh, in the chord progression uh, at the, uh, in the repetition of Adon Olam. It, it is a mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. An optimistic sound, somber though the melody is. You, your Rosh Hashanah is not a, a sad holiday, and he captures that effectively in the final uh, repetition. Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, okay, as, as John had mentioned, um, Rosh Hashanah is the day of God's kingship. Yeah, you know, it's about living in God's world. Um, I would say the Adon Olam, part of what I feel it, it, with the Adon Olam is, and I sometimes felt that walking into Shul Yom Kippur morning, this is where I'm gonna be all day. But the idea that so we are, we are in God's hands, basically. That, that idea that we're in God's hands, to me is very much what Adon Olam is about. And it's a day of de declaring God is king, etc., God's world. But it also is the beginning of what we call a Seretim It's the first day of the 10 days of repentance. And even though in the Rosh Hashanah service itself, it isn't primarily about repentance. Repentance is the Yom Kippur theme. There are confessions, there are penitential prayers, slichot. But Rosh Hashanah, because it's a day of judgment, one might say that it sort of engenders. What comes naturally is a, is a sense also that it's a day of, it's a day of petition. And during the 10 days of repentance, one of the prayers that we say every day is the prayer of Vinu Malkeinu. We speak of God as king, but also of God as parent, of Vinu Malkeinu. So this next Danigun also comes out of the world of Chabad. And let's hear uh, of Vinu Malkeinu, uh, the rendition of Chabad, which is recited as well on, uh, on Rosh Hashanah. Thank you. 
And that's the Chabad of Inu Malkeinu. Maybe it's familiar to some of you. Um, again, Abai and Laura playing that duet. Um, what do you say, John? How do, how do you respond to that? That's <laughs> well, first of all, um, who says the hallmark of Chabad Nigunim is the key change? Can you say more? Who wrote this? I'm not. Not not, not so, so yeah, yes. in the chat. This is me yes. again. Um, yes. This recording, um, the first time I heard this recorded, it was one of the earliest Jewish uh, records put out um, back in the late 50s or early 60s. I think Vel Pasternak, the, the great, mm -hmm. uh, may he rest, may uh, God rest his soul, uh, produced this. And um, what I hear in many Chabad Nigunim, or uh, it makes the melody very interesting and, and it almost calls your attention to the melody, is the key change. Surprise. And as I said, this is not unique to this nigun, but it is occurring in many Chabad nigun. It makes the song very interesting, calls your attention to the nigun. Um, mm -hmm. I have actually, uh, in the past, used this nigun as the nigun to begin shacharit services on Rosh Hashanah. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's simple, powerful, not that simple. It's got an ABC structure. Makes it uh, not, not not a simple structure like a catchy tune, like a typical Shlomo Karbach melody. Uh, this is has complexity to it, both in terms of the chord change and also the uh, the three musical ideas. Yeah, I think that that's really interesting. Thank you. And just you know, I think about how that relates to Avinu Malkenu, this idea of you know our father. Our father, our king, you know, you know, uh, by the way, in terms of like, you know, you think that the, the biblical name or title Avimelech, you know, which might, you know, the Philistine, uh, the name of the Philistine monarch, you know, which might mean, we don't, we don't know what it means, but maybe it means, you know, uh, the king is our father or something along those lines, uh, in which case it's sort of, it's sort of one, one title, Avimelech, but I think that, um, you know, the way it's understood in, in the liturgy is that we have, it's sort of two modes in which God is, uh, we're, we're addressing God at once, both as our, our father uh, and, and, and our king. And I think it's important, uh, therefore, to, and this is, this is explicit at moments in the liturgy where we say, you know, treat us, you know, please, you know, uh, treat us well, either as imkevanim, imkavadim, you know, whether we are your children or we are your, your servants and each 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 in its own its own way. So the sort of different modalities in which God uh, might treat us, think about us, one in terms of uh of mercy, rachamim, which interestingly might be related to the word racham womb. So it's sort of like, you know, the father perhaps, you know, treating us with sort of a motherly love, perhaps maybe that's a bit of a stretch, um, um, or otherwise being gracious towards us. But um, you know, I I in the 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 two approaches uh uh, to which we'd approach God, the two senses of God of Inu Malkenu. So that, that that phrase, I believe, you know, originates in a story in the Talmud, um, or at least it's you know echoes a story in the Talmud in Ta'anit uh, 25b, where um, there's a 
tremendous drought. And um, Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Kivar both, you know, come forward to pray for the community. Rabbi Eliezer prays 24 full blessings, right? So he includes, you know, the regular, uh, you know, 18 or uh, 18. Um, and then he adds, you know, six more for, um, for retreating, you know, uh, beseeching uh, God uh, for rain. And, uh, so it's a full-blown, very complex service, if you will. And then Ray Kiva gets up and just sort of says a few words, Avinu Malkeinu, you know, uh, please uh, have mercy on us. Avinu Malkeinu, you're our only king. Avinu Malkeinu, for your sake, have mercy on us. And rain comes down immediately. And the, the Gemara there says that why was Rabbi Akiva, uh, you know, responded to? Yet the Bakov Amra, not because of the the, pers the persona of Zarekiva is greater than Rabbi Ezer in any sense, but rather because Zem Avir Al Midotav Zeino Ma'avir Al Midotav. This one is, you know, doesn't uh, hold Ma'avir Al Midotav doesn't 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 you know hold uh, people to an account. And, you know, it's hard to chance they don't have a chance of ever silver, right? Hold people to account according. He he he's Mochel, you know he. He, he he's forgiving himself. He has a certain humility about it, a simplicity, humility about his about, about himself. Um, doesn't uh, stand on ceremony, maybe we would say. And uh, the prayer itself, I think my point is that the prayer itself of Inumakeno that he recites is also very simple. It doesn't stand on ceremony, if you will. Right? It's not the twenty-four blessings of Inumakeno. You're only king. Right? And, I think you um, hit on something actually very important. That what yeah. I liked about the first, very much about the first. And I would mention this as well. Yeah. The part of the problem with that prayers of Russia in general, with mm -hmm. Jewish prayer and especially Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, is that there's so many words, and it's very easy to get lost in the avalanche of words, um, and to somehow to be able to return to understand that at the end of the day, there's a kind of simplicity that's central to prayer. Uh, I like those first three Nigunim. They're very simple, actually. And I, I think the way they're played is, is quite beautiful and speaks to me. You pick out the, 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 the simplicity. I would say simplicity, there's something else that even in terms of the harmonies, uh, which can actually add a lot to the prayer, but I think what is often missing in terms of when people singing together, I can't speak for the non-Orthodox community very much, but in terms of the very traditional communities or mod, there's a lot of filling in the blank spaces. And I think that the silences are as important as the words. So I think to teach ourselves to sing and not to necessarily fill in all the spaces is really very, very important. So I think this, um, yeah, the Avinu Malkeinu is, as you say, Rabbi Akiva, it's, you know, let's get down to basics. And I think what Roshan and Yom Kippur should be about is sort of getting down to basics. Having said all yeah. that, there's another nigla now that I'd like to uh, us to hear, which is, and again, it was not composed for this specifically. It's quite complicated. Um, Andy Statman will play it. And I chose it for Hamelech. You know, we begin the Shachrit service of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur with the word Hamelech, God is king, the kingship of God. And very often, there, and there's a chant for that as well. There's a, a, there's a, a very traditional chant, but there's also in some places and service that I read for many years, we often would sing a, a, a nigun before the traditional chant. So this is a nigun that I chose. This comes out of the world of uh, the world of uh, mudgets. And it, I mean, 
A lot of the music is really exquisite. And this is a uh, complicated yeah. tune, but it's uh, at the end of it, it has a kind of regal sound. And oh. I think we can sort of, the king is approaching. Uh, and I think this is a, um, an interesting nigun in terms of imagining this king who's coming towards us, Hamelech, on the day of Rosh Hashanah. So let's say the nigun of, this is Andy Statman on the clarinet. No, that's not the right nigun. That's not right. That's not it. That's not the nigun. It's a different one. That's it.
There's more to it. That is, that's coming out of the world of mudgets. I wanted to mention something about this particular rather complicated niggling. And that is that especially the end of it has a kind of a regal sound to it. And I think what's actually important to remember about Rosh Hashanah is that if we think about one, think about Rosh Hashanah, what comes to mind immediately is the mitzvah to sound the shofar. The shofar has, perhaps a dual quality to it. It is a cry, it's a broken sound, it's a prayer, but it's also a kind of instrument like the trumpet, which is appropriate for a coronation ceremony. And actually when you hear this particular Mudget's introduction to Hamelech, um, you get that sense of the shofar actually, not as a petition at all but a chauffeur as uh, accompanying this yearly coronation of, of, of God the King. Uh, in fact, it's that theme of coronation. In fact, I think in, in some Hasidic circles, they call the day of Rosh Hashanah Yom Hamlacha, the day of the coronation day. And I think that's an aspect of Rosh Hashanah that is much more difficult for us to actually to access. So I think I chose this particular uh, Nigun, because I think it does bring out this other element of Rosh Hashanah, the element of, of God's kingship and proclaiming God's kingship. And it is interesting that in the Ashkenazic rite, in any event, before we sound the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, we read Psalm 47, which is precisely about God's kingship. No, 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 no. Thank you. No, 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 no. That is the, you know, the theme of, the theme of kingship, which I think is Hamelech. Now we really begin the service of, of, of Rosh Hashanah. That was my take on this. And the reason I brought this, uh, this particular tune in for Mudgets, my Mudgets is thousands of Nigunim. And I thought this was interesting in terms of the kingship of Rosh Hashanah. And right. which means like li li living in God's world. It's not our world, it's God's world. Right, so it sounds like you're saying to reflect back that there's kind of the shofar, as you say, as, as, as a, as, as a deep cry, uh, but also kind of a, a herald, if you will, right? It's an, it, it announces uh, God's presence uh, currently. And um, one, might, one might say that it, 
it accompanies God's revelation, right? God's appearance and 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 role in 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 this world, which is in fact God's God's world. And it's not surprising, therefore, that you know, in the Shofarot section, right, of our of 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 Musa, right, that we speak uh, actually begins. We speak about uh, about revelation, right? That that God appears right with with the shofar. So uh, to start the Amidah, it's actually not the Amidah, excuse me, to start uh, this section of the Tefillah, entering into the main part of the davening of Shachris um, with this tune would be to emphasize that that part of Rosh Hashanah, right, of, of uh, crowning the God who is present uh, as opposed to the God who is absent. And, you know, one might wonder what it might, what, what, if one wants to evoke, you know, God's absence in the cry, how, what that Hamelech might sound like, uh, it might be a different one. But Right. Maybe we'll have a different Hamelech for Yom Kippur. Maybe we'll, I think for Yom Kippur, we'll try a different Hamelech. No, I think right. the idea of living in God's world, if we take it seriously, has all kinds of implications for how we see ourselves. We're here mm -hmm. to serve. We're here to do God's bidding, which mm -hmm. I don't think is the way we typically necessarily see ourselves in this world. We see ourselves mm -hmm. more typically in terms of rights. We have the right pursuit of happiness. You know, we have certain privileges and rights, but to see ourselves very differently, to see ourselves as God's servants. We are residents in God's world. It's not our world. That's what mm -hmm. Rosh Hashanah invites us to consider. And I think it's really important because I think for a lot of us, we don't usually think of the world that way. I think Rosh Hashanah is an invitation to see ourselves very, very differently. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in, in that respect, that, that's interesting yeah. that it's interesting. No, just to say one more word about that. It's interesting in that respect that, and to circle back to what we said earlier, that Rosh Hashanah is not only a day of din and sort of uh, has that sort of somber um, element recognizing our own limitations, but also has a joyous quality, as you say, and the joy that can be found in seeing one living and seeing oneself as living in not one's own world, but in service of God's world. Um, you know, I think that's that's an interesting one. People, a lot of work going on today nowadays. People wondering what's the key to happiness or joy, and you know, I don't know how often that one comes up, but um, something, something to think about. Well, I think if you see oneself, if one can see oneself as simply in God's in God's service, mm -hmm. and you're going to do things in accordance with God's service, you, you you are concerned about carrying out your responsibility. But I do think it actually helps. Uh, us in terms of not so much worrying about pleasing anybody else. We just mm -hmm. want to do the right thing, which I <laughs> so it is, in a way it sort of removes all, many of the other concerns mm -hmm. that we have about our functioning mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. We have mm -hmm. one concern. We, we want to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we're doing the right thing. We see ourselves as serving God, maybe in God's, in, in God's service and in God's hands. I put myself mm -hmm. in your hands. And then in, in a certain sense, that could free me from you know, from all kinds of other kinds of considerations that I have to please A, B, right. C, and D Absolutely. or whatever. Right. So it's, we have a few minutes left here. I did want to uh, get to, a, if we have time, just to, again, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, even though typically during the year, so in the Ashkenazic rite, generally speaking, we don't add too many extra words to the prayer. Plenty of words we say. But on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we have these piyutim. We're adding all kinds of uh, songs, songs of praise uh, into the service. And um, these piyutin are often sung. Sometimes they're chanted. I grew up with chanting, but they're, sometimes they're sung. So I thought it would be uh, interesting to listen to uh, two tunes, two nigunim, both coming out of the world of Mujits, for 
two of the piyutim that it typically recited uh, in the Shachari service of, of, of Rosh Hashanah. So let's listen to these two, uh, two, two different nigunim. The, the phrase that repeats is Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach, Hashem Yinwal Fiyulam Ba'ed. God is king, God was king, God is king, God will be king. Again, the kingship. And these two different nigunim, I think, uh, they both refer to God's kingship, but in one instance, perhaps it's, let's listen to the two nigunim and reflect upon them, and then we'll conclude. Um, could I get a title for the? Um, could I get a track title? One is a ten fifty, and one is a fifteen. I I need the no the name of the tune, not the title. Doesn't have a name. Let me see. I can find it. One moment. Huh? When I call it an exuberant waltz.
Yeah, that's a waltz. We sang that all every year, actually. It's uh so I would call it I called it an, an exuberant waltz. It's uh very upbeat. Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach. Perhaps the tune is familiar to many of you. Uh, but now there's another one that we sang also in the same part of the service, but it has a bit of a different feel. So coming out of the same world, the world of Majits, but it has a different feel to it. So let's listen to the second waltz, often sung to the same words, actually.
I love that particular nigun. Anyway, um, those are two of the nigunim that are sung. They have many, many sung to the piyutim of Shachari. Um, perhaps there'll be more time in the next session to reflect upon more upon these and many other nigunim. But I just want, in conclusion, to say the following: that apart from these songs that are in, included in the in the service, there is a basic nusach to the to the davening. Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur has a basic traditional nusach, as the Shabbat and the festivals and everything, which in many places is getting lost, unfortunately, and being replaced by songs. And the idea of songs are not to replace. The idea of the song is to augment. The next and the final uh, nigun that I wanted to uh, share uh, was sung at Risha to the words Mechalkel Chaim Bechesed. Maybe on the next session we'll talk more about which words the Hasidic masters cho chose for their songs. But this is a tune that I heard from Chaim Kranzler, actually, to one of our Chazanin. And um, it's coming out of the standard Nusach. It's actually very interesting. So let's hear this uh, last uh, Nigun, which comes out of the Nusach, standard Nusach for Rosh Hashanah.
musicians for this uh, session were Andy Statman on clarinet, Laura Milnikoff cello, and Vi Steinman Silver on piano. Um, the last uh, Negro, if you call it that, is obviously plays out of the core nusach of, of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Um, and I think that it actually enhances the nusach. Uh, next time we'll be continuing with prayers of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. There are only three sessions. Uh, again, the idea is to hear these nigunim as related to the texts, the actual words of prayer. And uh, perhaps in the third session, we will have, have more reflection on the actual music. So I'm looking forward to the next two sessions. Thank you all for participating in and adding your insights, which are more than welcome. Uh, looking thank you forward all very to, much. Yeah, thank you all. Looking forward to the next session. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everyone. We have, thank you, Rabbi Silver, and thank you, Rabbi Kelson, and thank you, everyone who came and shared their thoughts. We have a very busy Elizabeth and Grisha with more classes coming up tonight. Um, join Rabbi Jonathan Ziering later this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern with a class on Sukkot, the paradigm of universal Torah ideals. Later tonight, Rabbi Wendy Amsalem will be teaching about the Torah readings of Rosh Hashanah at 7 p.m. Eastern. And Rabbi Alex Ozar will be teaching about Rav Kutner at 8 p.m. And for the early birds and the, and the Israelis and Europeans in this chat, in this call, um, Rabbi Kelson on the Piyasetz Nerebi at 7 a.m. We have more classes scheduled for El Osman. You can learn more and sign up at 5783.drisha.org slash Have a good day, everyone. Thank you.